Chapter Twenty of the Pocket Measure by Pansy. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Twenty Measured by Trial. Well, said the senior partner, irritation visible on every line of his face, I am aware of that, of course. On ordinary occasions, we are not in the habit, as you know, of infringing on the Sabbath rest of our employees, but this is a special emergency. A large amount of money is at stake, and you can, of course, see the necessity for your being in Paxton at the earliest possible hour on Monday morning. Without doubt, his clerk was listening to the measured words, every sentence of which indicated the senior's annoyance in thus being called to account and obliged to explain his actions. He was listening, but he seemed in doubt as to how to answer, for he hesitated and the blood mounted higher in his face, and the silence between them was becoming oppressive. At last, raising a pair of keen eyes, he spoke in a firm yet sufficiently respectful tone, I cannot engage to break the Sabbath, sir, even in a business emergency. You cannot? No, sir, my principles, prejudices, some might call them, are very strongly marked in that direction. I cannot conceive of a business emergency which would make it seem right to me to ignore the plain direction, remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. For a moment the senior partner seemed to be too much astonished to speak. He was not a high-tempered man, at least not in the sense in which that phrase is generally understood. He never scolded, never descended to the level of loud words or excited tones, yet his word was absolute, unquestioned law through the entire establishment, and it had heretofore been Mr. Spafford's business simply to obey. In view of the long education that this man of large business had had as an undisputed sovereign, it is perhaps no wonder that he could for a moment only look his astonishment over the sudden rebellion. "'Very well,' he said at last, turning away and moving with his usual dignified step toward the inner office. The words were quiet, the manner in no sense changed, yet Mr. Spafford knew that he was in great and dangerous disfavor with his chief, knew it as well as he did less than an hour afterward, when one of the cash boys gave him a note written in the senior partner's clear, firm hand, which read as follows. Enclosed fine check for fifty dollars, the amount due, and accept the thanks of the firm for the faithful manner in which you have hitherto served them. We shall, of course, have no further need of your services after today. Hoping that you will in the future meet with the success that your industry deserves, we remain yours truly. And then, through the mist that the faithful clerk felt gathering over his eyes, he could see the signatures of the firm. He even took occasion to notice the graceful curve of the capital B and the flourish around the D. So small were the details with which his mind occupied itself. And yet he also saw his home, with his beloved wife and its sick baby, and the great and increasing need that there was for money. He saw himself out of employment for weeks, perhaps for months, and his baby growing worse, slipping away from them, perhaps, for want of those things which money could procure. He saw actual want staring them in the face. 
yet he went on with the column of figures he was adding, reached a result that he knew was correct, signed the name of the firm to half a dozen papers, wiped his pen with usual care, closed and locked his desk, delivered the keys to the proper authorities, said good evening, much as usual to his fellow clerks, and went out, for the last time, from the store where he had served faithfully. Yet the weight of the trial had told somewhat on his face by the time he reached home. Must have done so, though he strove hard not to let it, and said to himself, as he went up the walk, that he would not tell Callie until after supper. Nor then, indeed, unless the baby was even better than usual. Yet he had not been in the little dining-room five minutes before she said, "'Warren, what is the matter?' Then, of course, he told her. He spoke cheerfully, even smilingly, tried to make as little of it as possible. But she stood bewildered. She seemed unable to take the idea in. "'Discharged,' she said. "'Discharged,' repeating the word in a dazed sort of way, thinking how strange it sounded connected with her husband's name. "'Why, Warren, what can you mean?' Then the whole story had to be gone over, and, after all, it was well. It was such a short story, so simple and untragical in its details, that it might almost have quieted the excitement of them both to go over it. Yet it meant to them serious business. They both knew it meant, we have lost that which was our daily bread. There was no bank account, however small, there was not even an extra laid away in the private slide of Callie's writing-desk. There was only that last check, out of which to pay a month's rent and the doctor's bill, and provide the hundred daily necessities of life, for how long? I will not deny that there was a sense of terrible sinking in Mrs. Spafford's heart. She had never longed for money as she did just now, as she had been longing that very afternoon, because of the white-faced darling in the crib, and she had never in her life touched so near to actual poverty. Yet the first thing she did, after she took in the entire situation, was to move her chair around the other side of the crib, closer to her husband's, and kiss his white forehead. And the first words she spoke were, "'After all, Warren, there is nothing to regret. You did just what was right.' Indeed, there was no opportunity for choice. You could not do otherwise, and the Lord knows all about it. Thus it was that the shadows in that home grew longer. The days passed strangely, that is, the first five or six. Warren took his breakfast later, lingered over it, beyond the time for family worship, cared tenderly for war, in a hundred ways restful alike to mother and baby did a dozen little things for their comfort during the day that he had never before had time for, then went out on a weary round of calls in the hope of finding somewhere a situation, coming back every night a trifle more disheartened than he was the night before. It was not the time of year when vacancies were plenty, if, in fact, in the overcrowded city there is ever such a time." He got the check cashed, with a curious pitiful wonderment as to how or when he would get another, and paid the rent, and laid aside some that he hoped could be kept to give to the doctor, 
and brought home with him five little gold dollars that he showed after tea to his wife. "'Oh, Warren,' she said, understanding them at once, "'I was wondering about them. Don't you suppose, do you think I mean, would it be wrong to use the five dollars this time? We have no income now, you know, for a little, and baby needs a few things. Shall we borrow them for this emergency?' "'Callie,' he said, and his tone was low and strangely tremulous, though there was no reproach in it. We promised to swing off and trust him for emergencies. "'So we did, and I am very faithless. Put them in the box, Warren. Indeed, I did not mean to steal the Lord's jewels. I only thought of borrowing.' She spoke quickly and had some ado to keep back the tears but he gave the shining things to her, and with her own hands she dropped them into the blue velvet box. Before many days they had that which put the loss of the father's situation into the background. Without any question, baby was seriously worse. Oh, the dark, dark days which succeeded each other now! How can I tell you about them? Ah, me, how many hearts there are in this world that need no telling! the father made no more efforts to find a situation indeed there were hours in which he was able to thank god that he had none no duty to keep him from ministering now to his child and his wife for one seemed to need help almost as much as the other his days and nights were alike spent in tireless watching and waiting that one word expresses to the initiated a whole volume in itself alert, helpful watching, is sometimes not so hard, but the waiting for what may, I apparently, is coming, with slow steps indeed, but still coming, that is what wears out human lives. It was one of those breathless summer mornings which occasionally followed breathless nights. Baby lay in a limp, almost lifeless heap, in the small white crib, too weak he felt even to smile in answer to the wistful eyes bending over him. Neither father nor mother had left him for an hour of rest during the night. Indeed, there was not a spot in the house in which they could have rested had they tried. No spot where they could get away from that faint wail. Sometimes it seemed to the father's heart, when occasionally he closed his eyes for a moment to rest them, that he should hear it always after this, wherever he went, whatever happened. The long summer night had stretched its slow length along, mother and father alternately walking up and down the room, trying to rest the tired baby, or sitting in the large rocker, pillowing him tenderly on one arm, and gently fanning him with the other. Now the longed-for morning had come at last, and, as they looked at the pinched features of the child, and then at each other, they needed not words with which to say that the night had made sad ravages. It was plain that he had failed much. For the first time since his sickness, they did not attempt going through with the form of a breakfast. That much Warren Spafford had regularly insisted on. Indeed, he had several times made a fragrant cup of coffee himself, brought it with his own hands to his wife, and with tender firmness insisted on her drinking it. 
this morning he sat almost as limp and wearied-looking as the baby before him, making no suggestions in regard to food or rest. The awful depression of disappointment and foreboding was upon him. Mrs. Spafford turned to him at last, her eyes heavy, less with weariness than fear. Warren, don't you think you might find the doctor before he starts on his daily round and get him to come earlier? Don't you think there may be need of it? I am afraid there is. He spoke in a low, hopeless tone. It was evident to her that he had lost all heart. Her own began to give great throbs of pain, but she struggled for composure. For baby's sake, she must not yield now. She might soon have plenty of time for tears, when she had empty arms. Warren rose at once. I will try for it, he said, still listlessly, and he sought for his hat and went away, neither of them remembering to break their long night's fast. Meantime, however, there had come another presence into the house. Mrs. Evans had returned home but the night before, had run over immediately to see how her friends were, and knew all about the great fear that enthralled them. She came quickly now into the kitchen uninvited, as her kitchen had been entered once. She moved with quiet yet skillful step around the small domain where the neatness of desolation reigned. Everything was in the sort of order that betokens that very little is being used in that region. Skillfully she built up the fire in the little stove, rapid movements to and fro, one journey home, and just as Mr. Spafford entered the front door, she pushed open the door of the little parlor, which had long since been converted into a downstairs nursery. "'I found him,' Warren said. "'He says he will try to be here in half an hour.' Then Mrs. Evans, "'Go right into the dining-room, dear, you and Mr. Spafford, and eat a mouthful of breakfast. You will find it all ready.' Oh, yes, you must, for baby's sake, you know. He will need strong arms and a great deal of care today. He is sleeping quietly now, isn't he? Really resting, perhaps. I will sit beside him and watch every movement. Go, Mrs. Spafford, because it is right, you know. What winning sweetness there was in her voice, and a certain quiet persistence of manner that carried a sort of strength to the tired hearts of father and mother. She is right, Callie, Warren said, trying to rouse from his lethargy. Right and thoughtful. Don't let us be ungrateful. Come. Now you know just how this suggestion sounded to Mrs. Spafford. How utterly loathsome to her was the idea of food. How much she longed to be allowed to sit by her baby's side just as long as she could. Yet she struggled with all this that she knew was sentiment, and arose and went out quietly to the dining-room. How pretty it looked on this fair morning! Mrs. Evans had even stopped to pick three or four fresh roses just budding into bloom, and had placed them in a tiny vase beside Mrs. Spafford's plate. The table was set for two, with much daintier care than had been bestowed on it of late. The very freshness of the napkins had a restful look to the matron's weary eyes, there was a plate of delicately, carefully made toast, and a tiny bit of steak, broiled to a nicety, 
just as Mrs. Evans, thanks to her teacher, had long known how to broil. No wonder that it all reminded Mrs. Spafford of her afternoon invasion into the kitchen across the way. Her husband was evidently thinking of it too. For thou shalt find it after many days, he quoted to her, with a meaning smile, and then, as she tried to give the answering smile, the very effort to do so brought the tears, and she laid her head on her husband's shoulder and sobbed outright. It was better, too, than to try to bear that heavy strain any longer. Come, he said, after a moment of tender silence, you are to show your appreciation of this thoughtful kindness, and eat some breakfast now. It will strengthen you for the day. He poured her coffee, prepared it carefully, cut small bits of the tender steak for her, as if she had been a child, and although she felt perfectly confident that the very first mouthful would choke her, she sat down and ate bits of toast and steak and swallows of hot coffee, and rose up refreshed. So determined are these bodies of ours to assert their rights, no matter what the spirit is being called upon to endure. The doctor came promptly, as he had promised, but it was evident to both father and mother that he saw small need for his coming. Rather, he stood powerless before the need that he felt himself unable to supply. He was kind and grave, as sympathetic as one could expect a doctor to be, who sometimes stood many times a day by the fair cribs of little babies who were slipping away from life. The fact is, and he drew on his gloves as he said it, nature will have to do all that can be done for your child. He may rally, I have seen children lower than he pull through at last. The vitality of these little creatures is something to wonder at, stand in awe before, in fact. There is one thing I should like to see tried. If you could go to the seashore with him, it might do. Sea air works miracles sometimes in cases like these. And indeed, a change of air is a most helpful thing. You may continue the medicine as before. I'll try to call this afternoon. We are likely to have a very sultry day, I think. Good morning. And this was all. And the dark-colored, nice-fitting gloves were on now and buttoned, and he was gone. All their hopes went out with him. They sat in almost stupefied silence, looking, not at each other, nor at the baby, but at nothing, trying, indeed, to look the future in the face. Go to the seashore! To be sure, it was not very far away, less than half a day's ride on the cars would bring them within the sound of its eternal roar. But for all practical purposes, so far as they were concerned, it might as well have been a thousand miles away. Mrs. Spafford's eyes sought the jewel case on the mantel. There were three little gleaming dollars within, and she knew as well as though she could see inside her husband's pocket that those and a few quarters were all the money they had in the world. Two dollars of the gold she had paid out mechanically but a few days before, when the church collector called. She thought of them now, thought of the dollars that had lain from time to time within its silken folds. One hundred and fifty, more than that, indeed, during the last two years. We could take him to the seaside if we had that. She did not speak the words even to her heart, they just flitted through her mind, 
and there was such a touch of bitterness in them that it startled her. Still, how was she to help wondering whether the money could possibly have done anybody so much good as it would be to save her darling? "'Oh, Warren,' she said, and her voice sounded like a wail, "'couldn't we borrow that money in that box, and I take it and go a little way with baby? He said, you know, that a very slight change sometimes did great good.' my poor dear wife don't you remember that what is there would hardly take you to the depot in a carriage such as it would be necessary to have silence for a few minutes then she spoke in tones that were almost desperate warren i could beg for the sake of our child darling i would beg if i knew which way to turn let us think no dear callie let us beg of our father our great rich father he loves our child as even we cannot he will show us the very best to do let us come right to him as children who trust him and beg him to show us the way to step almost before the sentence was finished they were on their knees they were alone again mrs evans had packed the dishes in a scarcely orderly pile and gone swiftly away not pausing even to offer to sit with baby a moment longer or to inquire what else she could do. It had occurred to both husband and wife to wonder silently over the suddenness of her departure. Then each had decided that some home duty must have needed immediate attention. She had been long absent. Several times since she went had the bell rung. Some kind-hearted neighbor had sent to inquire after baby's health. The girls, too, had rung at the door and inquired and offered help, if there was anything they could do, and gone their ways. People were kind, but it was a city where even neighbors were not specially neighborly, and the baby had been long sick, and none realized how sick he was, nor how much in need of help the young people stood. None but Mrs. Evans, and she had gone to her own cares. So they were alone, and yet not alone, surely the angel of the covenant was with them during that prayer mrs spafford had often heard her husband pray yet the intensity of feeling the perfect abandon of self the overwhelming cry to be hidden from this awful storm that threatened them to be held in the everlasting arms was something that hushed her sobs and almost compelled her to lay hold with strong faith upon the arm of power they were both entirely calmed when they rose up. Darling, her husband asked as he held her with his arm for a minute, don't you believe, don't you know that he will bring to pass for us that which is best? Yes, she said quietly, and at that moment the doorbell rang again, a quick, emphatic peal. End of chapter 20